show off your new gig. <laughs> right. <laughs> so today, when I sat, I tried something for the first time here, and it was to do nothing. Like I didn't want to go and attain one thing, do one thing, have one state of mind arise. And what I found particularly interesting about it was that it's hard to do. <laughs> it is so hard to do. Not only is it so hard to do, but when I tried it, I found that most of what happened is what I had already done in meditation practice in the past. And I found that particularly interesting when we talk about books and pages and, and writings and such, because I wasn't really aware of how much training was really taking place, even though every time I sat down to meditate, I thought, oh, I'm training the mind, you know, breathing in, I train the mind, breathing out, I train the mind. And I wanted to ask you about what are the benefits of practice in this manner? Is it something that is beneficial to pursue or is it something a good way to check on anything as far as how stuff is going? And does that question even make sense? All right. It has uh, two kinds of benefits. The benefit of right here, right now, at least you're not fussing at yourself about what kind of diet or what kind of clothes or what kind of uh, society or what kind of politics that we miserate ourselves a lot. And when we're doing that kind of stuff, at least we're not miserable. It's curious. It's interesting. OK, so that fulfills the fact that right here, right now and it's also partially a training for the future that mm. um, the child can only play the piece of music in public at the recital for the first time. I don't know if you've had re piano recitals, but... <laughs> no, but it does sound like a good time. <laughs> well, it is a terrible thing for the child when he's not prepared. I believe it. Mm -hmm. uh, and he knows he's not prepared. OK, so that's the whole point then is, is that, all right, if you feel so bad before you even play it wrong, why don't you go practice playing it correctly? Because we've got to play it correctly over and over again so that when we go up on stage and we're under pressure, now we can still play it correctly. If we pay attention to what we're doing, rather than paying attention to, oh, poor me, I'm on stage in front of all of these people. Okay. Yes, very much so. So if we can also practice our our meditation in that same way, the inner and the outer, and we practice the inner first and we get the benefits of it, but it also begins to be a habit so that we can do it on the outside, okay? Because if you think of it like this, is that whenever you're in your, your outside world, which means you're in contact with other beings, other animals, other fish, other people, other humans, whatever, that basically is now being on stage. And it's time yes. to perform correctly. OK, and so that's come. That's where that root of that statement comes from of it's your duty. You owe everyone you see a smile and a happy face. Right? Because yes. you owe that to yourself on the inside. Also, this is the nurturing part. 
All right. So um, now there's there's also another way of understanding this inner and outer. Uh, and that um, we can start with the issue of the, what's the difference between reading and writing? Or on the CB radio, speaking with the microphone button down, and you take the microphone button off, and, and now you're listening. Okay, we're talking about input and output. All right, and so, so long as we are receiving, that's useful. So long as we're transmitting, that's dangerous. We could reveal our location. Okay. Or other things like this. We could say something that was incorrect. So um, this is why I, I, by the way, I saw this. I don't remember all of them, but the number one item on the list of uh, things to do if you're in the Russian mafia is to be silent. Ah. Okay. All right, but that's that's a side point because the reality is is that being silent just means that you're not outputting, but we're going to be now uh, with the challenge of input or output. So when I am looking, when I am hearing, when sight is merely sight, then that's coming in as input. But then when we make sense of it, now we've got output even for our own mind. So the question is, are you in input mode or output mode? Because when we are nurturing, that would be like receiving and receptive and everything is okay. And when we're critical, that's being output. We're setting down the laws, we're giving the rules, we're setting standards, okay? And so that's back to the output. So we now can understand that input and output is similar to, but not exactly the same thing as internal and external. Because internal and external can have both input and output. And so what we're going to now uh, begin to understand is, is that it's being in input mode that the Buddha recommends so highly rather than being in output mode, which is what the world expects of us. This is why people, when they're in conversation with each other, generally one or the other of them is when the when you're silent, you're only thinking about what you're going to say next. Have you ever seen that happen? Oh, we're not really listening to that guy. You're just, I mean, he says one thing and now you've got an argument for that. Yeah. And he got five minutes and you're not listening for the next four and a half minutes because you want, you're planning on saying, okay. So that means that even when you're sitting quietly, you're still in output mode. That's a great insight. I don't know if I've realized that before, but yeah, I, I see exactly what you're talking about and I remember it. From younger times, you know, most especially during times in like my old career in the military and such, when I'd have mm -hmm. to ask questions, a lot of the times I had a question on a question on a question already lined up, 
and even though I was taking notes, I wasn't really 100% intuiting what it was that was going on. Right. But I see you now how efficient. our practice can help us this way. Mm -hmm. mm. And so practicing more being on the input mode, whether we're internal or external. Okay, so being on the input mode means that you're really paying attention to what's happening in the senses. You're paying attention to the body and its relaxations and its tensions, and you're paying uh, attention to your breathing. You're paying attention to your surroundings, feeling the uh, the cloth on your your body, and then also being aware of how do you feel, what you're feeling. Keep track of that. Is there any anxiety in there? And if there is, what is it associated with? Okay, and so we begin to do this checkout, and we do it kind of often. We check things out over and over again, which means then that checking out, that guarding, that investigation is all input mode. Right. And so in a way, it's also nurturing, it's investigating, it's making sure everything, you know, um, so. Uh, Hello, friends. <laughs> Got a walker in the park. <laughs> yes. So we're investigating, we're nurturing, you're saying. All right, so if we then Tame that around to something that's a little more inclined with the teaching of the Buddha when he said to Ananda, no, the, the, um, the, the path, the teaching is not just half friendship, it's all friendship. Okay, so here's where we're coming into then is, is that output is uh, fight, flight, um confrontation uh, mm -hmm. uh putting it out there uh being here and so we can also see that in fact that when we're in input mode there's no self there but when we're in output mode who's the one that's doing the output mm. and so this is another way of understanding about self and no self is this, this output mode is very much like um, who is it that's talking and that we're outputting because of the feelings of fear that give rise to anger or being in a protective defensive position. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Isn't this interesting how this stuff fits together like this? Yes, I love it so much. And this okay. is like when we take reporting after something in this situation, we listen, we listen, we listen, we nurture. There's no need to talk about it. There's just a need to ask the students, did they note it? Did they pay attention? How did mm -hmm. it go for them? Am I on that track there? Yes, exactly correct. That's exactly right. Yes. But now we've got a different way of looking at selfishness is, is that selfishness is kind of being an output mode. Right. Okay, and and so one example is is that your brother comes and asks to borrow five hundred dollars. Well, within a family, we know what borrowing is, <laughs> and and so um, if there's selfishness and I need this money, 
then I'm going to say no. But if I recognize that he comes in need and he knows it and we want him to be our friend, Mm -hmm. because see, if I say no to him, then we both feel bad. Right. I feel bad because I need money. Mm -hmm. I need money. I need money more than him does. Right. I'm not going to give it to him. I don't Mm -hmm. trust him anyway. He's not that much of a friend. You see where all of that is. And so so it winds up being a lose-lose situation. Mm -hmm. But if he comes and he asks and I give, now there's a win-win situation. I have been able to exercise my generosity and he's exercising his gratitude. Yes. I recall learning about this from the development of language. Proto-Indo-European words had similar meaning between give and take, but the language trees, when they split, when they became less selfless, you know, it was a way that those meanings started to be an interchange between two parties rather than just a communal activity. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so okay. beautiful thing. Right, so if we then go for that open, receptive uh, position, then we do that on the inside and get the unified mind and become friends with ourselves, loving ourselves and accepting ourselves, warts and all, or ever how we want to speak it. Hello, darkness, my old friend. We're ordinary people. Everyone has flaws. Every hero has clay feet. No one matches up to my standard. And if they do, I'll raise the bar until they don't. (laughs) Quite the life. Uh Uh-huh. That's the whole idea of guru worship. And every guru then falls and fails. Right. But good friends just need to be there. But with friends, when we accept ourselves, then we can be friends with others with their warts and all. Because it's not the warts that we're looking for anymore, because we're looking for friends instead. Beautiful. And so um, this goes back then to the input rather than the output. To be receptive when people talk, we're listening. We receive them. We eat them up. We have them for lunch. Mm. When we listen to what they say. Right. But if we argue with them, nobody wins. Right. Not I, not them, not anyone. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. I love that. And this is one of the reasons why one of those fruits that we talked about of the practice of sitting and doing our best to do nothing is to help us get into that input mode or them. Mm-hmm. sorry, yeah, the input mode. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Perfect. Right. That's amazing. That's really great to hear. Mm-hmm. Just getting into the input mode, which means that the nothingness is that we're doing nothing. Right. We're just open but to whatever. We're not ex- but we're not experiencing nothing. There's a whole lot of stuff happening. And why do we know that? Because we're looking, we're investigating, we're in input mode. I love that. (laughs) 
And, and so in a way, you could say that the mind is divided into three parts in different ways. One would be the parent, adult and child. That Byrne talks about or the ego, super ego in the id that Freud talks about or the anterior, the mid cortex and the frontal cortex, the way that neurologists talk about it. Um, but there's another way of talking about it in more Buddhist terms, and that is uh, consciousness then is actually being in input mode. We're conscious of input. And then the next of the third is the processing mode, and we get into processing. And when we are really into processing, we're restless, tense, uptight, confused, asking questions, et cetera, like that. That's not input, that's processing mode. We call it perception, and sometimes we can get stuck there for quite a while. Yes, yes, we can. (laughs) Because we're confused. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or let us say uh, uh, children, when mommy is fussing at the child, the child will go not into a very heightened alert uh, state to listen to everything that the angry mom has to say, which is exactly why mom is yelling, is because she wants the child to hear what she says. Instead, the child goes into shutdown protective mode, perhaps crying and bawling and sniffling and trying to withdraw from mom. So that means that they cannot hear any new input, they're still processing the fact that they're under attack. Right. And this is the same way that when we get into that output mode, they put up that wall. That Right. And so that's exactly right, is now the output mode is the third item on the list. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are we going to be in input mode, processing mode, or output mode? The answer is we've got a choice. If we are wise, we can see that we have a choice and remember that we've got a choice about which mode we're going to be in. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm saying that doing a cycle and not knowing that you're doing that cycle is problematic. Yes, we get very confused about that. (laughs) Because because we create problems. (laughs) Over and over again. They're called oh, concepts. Uh, yes. Okay, so building them on so, the, so those building of the concepts starts with input, but then it's the processing, it's the work in progress, it's the uh, perceptual system that then creates the concept. And now that we've got the concept, now we've got to hold it dear. We've got to lord over it. We've got to act upon it. So there we go with the output once we get the concept. Oh, and we can and see so, how that gets out of hand so quickly. Oh, yes, it does, doesn't yes, it? it when, does. when we're good at conceptualizing things and then uh, using it as a weapon to beat people up with. Yes. Oh, and really, we're just beating on ourselves, huh? Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Causing a whole bunch of dukkha all around. Okay. And everybody suffers and it's a lose-lose situation. But if right. we can maintain that um input mode, 
happily with a big smile, just listen. There's also kind of a trick, and that is, is that with the students, that sometimes they want to talk and talk and talk and talk, and my hearing is not so good. But one thing that I do is that I do pick up on a few words, and so when they get finished with their talking, I can at least grab one of the words that they said recently, and off we go. Yes. Or if they repeat a word, or if there's any word in there that gives uh, a handle, you know, like yeah. concentration. Anytime a student uses the word concentration, <laughs> down that rabbit hole we're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. but, I don't, but I don't have to then have any plan about what I'm going to say. I can just listen. Right. Got it. Just listen. That's all we have to do is just listen to somebody. We don't have to have an answer for them in progress. Right. While they're talking. That's being that's being in process mode, not in input mode. I see the value of not sure. Not sure. Yeah, just just keep taking data. I don't have to be sure because getting sure is that processing. Mm-hmm. Understood. That's very clear. And so we have the inside and the outside. We have sending and receiving. And we need to know the difference between the two. That in fact, the sending also has the signal processing. Uh, necessarily so. Huh? Yeah, you have to process that signal. Mm -hmm. That error itself is collapsing. Yeah. Gosh, that in fact was where I really was with um, um, with electronics in the beginning was signal processing and, and radio ham operating. I used to listen to radio prog. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> because, because my antenna was just kind of set up so that that was one of the really clear channels that came in mm -hmm. with the time of day or whatever like that. So um, I think that that uh, in those days that uh, Radio Moscow was jammed. <laughs> and yeah, so I no believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I've always found the radios, ham radio operating so interesting to me because of the ways that they bounce signal. Mm -hmm. And it's never just, you know, a straight line. It seems like they always had these nice arcs and things. And when you were working for IBM, was that what had to do with it as well? Um, yes. And in, in fact, this is where shielding comes into play. That's why so many things are wrapped in aluminum foil is to keep that radiation <laughs> from the guy next door from yeah. uh, interfering with my own stuff here. That's so why. Um, uh, <clears throat> grounding and shielding. And all of that comes into play in the sense of error detection and correction. And so that's, in fact, what computers got bounded upon. Yes. Was to, a computer, in order to operate, had to be able to get either a clear signal or know the possibility of the error. And that's where um, that, that still is an issue down in the gaming processors, the very fastest yes. processor. Yes. We have have to deal with the signal to noise ratio most especially with memory 
Yes. Like my DRAM, I, I play around with DDR4 SD RAM all the time for overclocking it and other such things. And I have a bunch of different motherboards that I plug it into because they all have different, you know, trace lengths and compositions and such. And one of the things that I really like about the DDR4 memory is it doesn't do the error correction. You know, that's normally the server grade stuff that comes up like that with the error mm -hmm. correction and whatnot. And so I'll, I'll just play around with all the different timing parameters and see how all the different little changes and different voltages that I can tweak and such and see... How quick can I make the computer crash? How how quickly can I corrupt the installation of Windows? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very interesting. I'm glad that, um, that we have that kind of um, um, relationship. That, in fact, in the old days before we had semiconductor memory, which is much more reliable, they used core memory. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and that core memory was quite susceptible. And not only that, but it had a double problem, and that is, is that to read the data destroyed the data. Yes. And so mm. every time that we read data, we had to rewrite it. And right. so this is where the idea of parity came from, was the parity is, and then in signal processing of sending serial data over a, a, a line, they kept that idea of parity. Okay. Wonderful. Because, okay. Because all right, and so then uh, that in fact very, very high quality, high sophisticated mainframes that used core memory would use a Hamming code that was eight out of 11. In other words, we would store 11 bits and, and then retrieve it and put it through a little matrix that was just a chip yeah. uh, to get the eight bits out and it would actually correct one error and check to locate two or more. <laughs> and so this was the best kind of memory you could have, that if you had one error, it could fix that one. And if you had two or more, at least it knew that much. Right. That that these were happening. hamming codes. And, and so this was actually quite beneficial to keep systems running. Yes. Other than having one parity bit go down and the whole one parity bit, I mean, if there's a jump statement in there and you say jump from this area to that area over there, I mean, you're here sitting in uh, this browser and all of a sudden um, uh, the some obscure program just pops up and yeah. the browser's <laughs> gone, you know. So then, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, um, wow. That's so cool so, to hear about stuff like that, too. Thank you. Yeah, this is old, old stuff. I've <clears throat> been it in the old days, but it also helped me to understand the Dhamma so well. Yeah. And that now I can go back and talk to the students about it and put it into a new set of metaphors. You see, the Buddha's metaphors are all about snakes and frogs and fish and dogs and all that kind of stuff, because that was where, and, and elephants and, and horses and that with the yeah. animals. But here we have a new level of, of thinking about these three parts yeah. of of everything is, you know, in, in the relationship to the mind, we have input, processing, and output. Yes. And perception seems to be the Buddha's bigger problem. Because right. if we can bring that processing to a stop, we also bring the feeling output to a stop. That they're related directly. Right through two steps of, of uh, Paticca Samupada. 
Mm-hmm. The, the Nama Rupa, Nama Rupa, the boiling, the cauldron, the manufacturing and all of that, and then comes up with some bogus output that already has a feeling associated with it. So when that mm-hmm. contacts us, that's how we feel. Yes. And there goes your browser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so the um the the intention then is the key. Intention which is a very subtle little thing, or let us, I usually refer to it as the attitude. Right. And the attitude also is used in uh, some forms of structural engineering, that if it is upright, then gravity has it at the bottom, and all we have to do is get a great base. But if it's leaning this way, we've got to plan on and take sure that, in fact, they're building buildings like that in China. They've got some really strange things, but they had to check with that attitude to make sure that it didn't fall over. So that's also the true with a tree, that we can tell Mm -hmm. precisely which way a tree is going to fall. But depending upon the way that we cut it at the bottom. Right to create an, an attitude or an out, or, or a leaning and whichever way the mind leans it, that's the way it's going to fall over. And so if we lean into this is hard, then that leans towards failure. If it leans yes. towards this is easy and I can handle it, then it leans towards success. Right. And we have to learn to control that. Because mm-hmm. that's how we generate our world. Because that's how we create the world. Okay? Mm-hmm. That 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 uh, generated salayatana at its base. That in fact our attitude influences perception itself. Yes. And when we come to understand that our our perceptional system is often whoppy jawed coming up with some really bizarre stuff called concepts. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And they stack. And so staying back in input mode is a whole lot better thing to do to stay in consciousness. Including not just all of the external senses, but the internal sense too. This is where we get down to that level of nothingness, but it doesn't mean that there is absolutely nothing. It means that we are still listening and not doing a whole lot of talking. Yes. On the inside. Just that being makes there sense with to me. <laughs> yeah, being there with whomever it is we're speaking with. That is a very wonderful, beneficial teaching, Mr. Damarato. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> That's going to be incredibly helpful, as it already mm-hmm. has been. And hearing it again and again is always such a blessing, man. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't you, we let you just sit with all of that, and we'll finish this conversation. Just been a delightful conversation. I really enjoy talking okay. to the students about this kind of stuff. Because it's, I think it's really beneficial. It really helps me on my own, uh, let us say, squatting journey. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much, Damarato. And I'll Alrighty. see you again soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.